Welcome to Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Each week on Vernacular, we explore the art of being truly and fully human. Most of the time, that means that Sally and I chat for 15 to 20 minutes about a topic, general or specific, and how it helps us understand what it means to be human. But we don't have all the answers, so occasionally we invite guests on the show to help us tackle this question in the context of their job or hobby, current events, or pop culture. Thanks for joining us as we practice the art of being human. Hey, welcome back. We are in episode three of our mini-series on the art of being human. Yep. And this week we're talking about medicine and healing. But before we get to that, we actually have a listener question. That's right. So Maria asked us what we thought of the space race. She asked, essentially, were the aims of the space race good aims? And I think when we first talked about this, Sally and I had a discussion, and Sally was leaning towards no, and I was leaning towards yes. And I'll sort of briefly recap our positions here. So I thought... Yes, because two things. One, we talked about in that previous episode about how exploration is a good aim of science. And I think that's what the space race was, fundamentally. Second, I think the space race was a use of science in a larger battleground of ideas in which the United States was trying to show that its ethos and its ideas were better than those of the main contending ideas at the time, those of the Soviet Union. And in, in that sense, I think the space race was good. Um, I think Sally's hesitation was related to what what might be, and I think there's an argument to be made for this, that the space race was really sort of a, a vaguely cloaked nationalism. Yeah, it was about power and establishing America as a superpower against Russia and against every other country. Right. Yeah, but so in, in uh, September of 1962, JFK announced the space race in his famous moon speech at Rice University, and he talked about why the United States was doing this. And he said this is against the backdrop of the coming age of space in which we anticipate that our adversaries will try to weaponize space. It'll become a future battleground, and we want to make sure it doesn't become that. So that's why we're going, and we have to get there first, because we have to plant the, the flag of freedom there. Um, and he said, we, I'm, I'm quoting now from the speech, he said, we set sail on this new sea because there is new knowledge to be gained and new rights to be won, and they must be won and used for the progress of all people. So contra the idea of just uh, uh, acquiring knowledge for the sake of knowledge, he's quite literally saying we need to acquire knowledge so that we can use it to advance the progress of all people. So all Which, of that sounds yeah, good. that and, sounds good. And if we take those words at face value, I think there's no question about whether or not the space race was... Uh, the space, the aims of the space race were good. But there is then, of course, a caveat we have to make, which is that this is rhetoric. And we can't necessarily take rhetoric at face value. And we have to ask ourselves, is or was the space race really just nationalism repackaged in a sort of palatable way that is appealing to to many people? And I think there's a, there's a good possibility that there's at least some of that going on as well. But on balance, fundamentally, I think the space race aims were good. And that's where I fall on the question. But it, it's complicated. I mean, even still, the United States votes down the prevention of an arms race and outer space treaty every time it comes up at the UN. Um, and so I think there are those who say that the aims of the US in space are more nefarious than they seem to to be. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but but there are counter counter arguments that can be made to that. And, and it gets very complicated very quickly. But ultimately, I think the space race remains to this day one of the best examples of an instance in which there was widespread popular support for a good aim of science. So, Maria, thanks for the question. Hopefully that answers it. Let us know what you think, and we'll discuss some more if we need to. Yeah, thanks for listening. All right, let's talk about medicine and healing. Yes. So, as we said, last week we talked about science, and in that episode we mentioned, and again, I keep saying last week, but last episode, <laughs> we mentioned healing as one of the truly human aims of science that we approved of, um, a truly human aim of science being one that 
corresponds with what it means to be human. Right. So this episode, we want to talk about the medical profession and what is the aim or the purpose of medicine? What should it be? What is it not? And again, like yeah. last week. Sidelining or, yes, just sidelining for the moment specifics about uh, actual applications of science, right? right? So we're not talking about CRISPR-Cas9 and how that fits into exactly. the, the general question of the end or the aim of, of medicine. medicine. Yeah, exactly. So um, we are going to be drawing heavily from Leon Cass's article regarding the end of medicine and the pursuit of health, a very long, very thorough article that we encourage you all to read, um, and it inspired this episode. Uh, but I thought we could start with our conclusion. Okay. So... No secrets here. <laughs> yeah. So the conclusion is. Yeah. So the end of medicine should be health or healing. And this is the purpose, health or healing, that most aligns with being human. Now, that sounds like a pretty simple definition, but the obvious question that follows on is what is what health? What is health? Right? <laughs> yeah. What is health? What is healing? What do we mean exactly. by this? And we know many people disagree with our definition, I'm sure. Right. So we'll talk about that. But the, the background to all of this, think back to the first episode in our series here where we talked about how being human is about being imperfect. So the end of medicine or the aim of medicine assumes that imperfection is a fundamental part of the human condition. So health then does not mean perfection because perfection is unattainable in the human condition. And so health must be something different from perfection. Yeah, so we have to keep in mind the limits of human nature and therefore the limits of medicine. Right. So what is health? Well, first of all, we can rule out perfection. Health is not perfection. Yes, and I think we can, along those lines, health is not happiness. No, definitely not. Because that is not something that medicine is really capable of giving us. Right. Especially for the long term. You might have a moment of happiness. Sure. Oh, I'm happy about this diagnosis or I'm happy about this cure, but it can't give us a lifetime of happiness. And closely related to this is that health is also not pleasure. Now, pleasure and happiness are very similar, I think, but philosophically, they're distinct. Yeah, and... some have defined it as just the absence of pain. Right. And health is not even necessarily just the absence of pain. Right. Um, it's not simply curing or preventing or treating a disease. Just the absence of something is not actually health in its entirety. Right. So health is something positive, not simply the absence of the negative. And I think that health is also not, and this is kind of a big concept, but civic order or right. societal order yeah. or, or whatever your idea of world world peace Right. I mean, is. I think we talk about, you know, you hear healthy families, healthy communities, healthy towns, and we can certainly use that word in an analogical sense, but when we talk about health, especially as it relates to the end of medicine, what we're really talking about is an individual quality unique to each human person. And so when we say the health of families, that's something distinct. I mean, the the idea of health as it applies to the human person in an individual sense, in a, in a medical sense, can analogically apply to a community, to the world, even if we go that far. But that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, because in the background, I'm thinking of of medicine gone wrong, as in eugenics. Right. People having an idea of what world peace looks like, having an idea of the perfect human being and what medicine is supposed to achieve. We can look through a number of examples in history where that's gone wrong, and we try to achieve this, this specific form of human nature. We try to change human nature to be what we think of as perfect. And and that that is not the end of medicine. Right, definitely. 
And I think the final thing we should be very clear about health not being is health is not defying the two um, diseases, as Leon Cass puts it, that we are born with. And those, those twin diseases are aging and mortality. So health is not never getting old. And health is not never dying. Health is not immortality. So, and this is related to health not being perfection, right? Health is not perfection. So health is not also defying the ultimate imperfection with which we are all born, and that is mortality. Yeah, and that can seem kind of like an obvious statement until you think about what a lot of people go to their doctors hoping for. They hope to continue to defy and defeat death. Right. They want to keep living longer. They want to prolong their life mm -hmm. beyond maybe what is actually natural or what is good. Right. And, and I think that that desire can actually be maybe they don't realize it but this desire for immortality this desire to live forever even if they wouldn't actually describe it in that way mm -hmm. so i think yeah and we're going to spend a, a future topic actually a future episode on that topic of aging and immortality yeah but i think you're right to point that out that that's not that's not what health is that's not the end of medicine you know and this is anecdotal so maybe this has not been your experience sally or any of our listeners experiences but I, but i feel like We've lost this phrase from the, the common vernacular in which a person dies of old age. Because when I was growing up, uh, you know, we, we had several family friends who would pass away. And they were older, probably in their late 70s, 80s. And when I asked my parents what they died from, the response was just old age. And, and so there was this understanding and, that there is a sort of natural curve to the human lifespan. And at a certain point, death is not premature. Death is just natural. Now, obviously... A 40-year-old who has a heart attack has a premature death, and, and medicine could and should have prevented that premature death. But in other cases, someone dies because of old age, right? I mean, that's the aging and mortality, the, the twin conditions with which we're all born. They um, will have their say eventually. And I don't know, I haven't heard someone say that in a long time, that someone just died of old age. But I, but I feel like, um, at least growing up, I used to hear that more. And not just from my parents, I heard that from other people as well, so... I don't know if that's been the experience of, of our listeners, but it occurs to me that maybe we've lost that sense that sometimes death is not premature. Um, instead, now, even when a, an old person dies, it seems to be that they died because the cancer that they had couldn't be cured or, um, you know, the, the chronic obstructive pulmonary disease that they had couldn't be cured. Yeah, I was um, thinking that exact thought that it's old age has been medicalized to the point where... Right. Maybe old age was a euphemism, you know, way back then right. because we didn't define whatever it was that they died from or we didn't know what they died from. And now we know. We know pretty much every disease that ever, anyone has ever, and we expect medicine to be able to cure every disease when in reality that's just what happens when you get old sometimes. Right. And maybe really it was just a way of adults making it more palatable to a kid. I mean, yeah, that's why I sure. heard it when I was younger. So sure. my anecdote might not really be related, but, um, but maybe it is related because there's this sense in which... I think maybe young kids have a better sense than adults of the sort of natural curve of human life, that they're they're young and full of vitality and can crawl around on the floor and have a ton of energy all day. And they see that people who are older just don't quite have that energy or those abilities naturally. So, Yeah, no, I think that's a great thought. And we should explore that in a future episode. So we said all the things that we are saying that health is not. So what is health then? And Leon Cass, I think, has a great explanation for this it's it's uh it can be unpacked a lot mm -hmm. <laughs> but basically he says that for a human being health is a state of wholeness or of working well or well working of the whole being the whole organism and that goes back to what you were saying earlier zach that health is specific to 
um, each species. It could be specific to each organism, each individual person. Health is going to look different. But it's a working well of the entire human person. Right. And, yeah, there's a lot we could say on that. There is. So let's start with this. Do you think, Sally, that the working well of the human person includes the soul? Yes. How so? But I don't think that – well, I think that the human person cannot be – is the body and the soul and the mind and the heart. Like the whole right. – every element of the human person is cannot be separated from every other element. Right. So in that sense, yes. And I think it relates to saying that health is not just the absence of disease. It's not just a functioning um, body, right. physical body. So yes. But I don't think that the soul is within the, the – The realm of medicine. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we – we can't go to our doctor expecting the doctor to fix our soul. Right. But our soul and our mind and our emotions play a part in health and in the wholeness that Cass is talking about. Yes. And I think our health can also play a role in our soul. Yes. Right. Because because the two are and the, are the state of our soul, yeah. Right. I mean, we're not Platonists here, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're not uh, Gnostics either. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> We're not trying to divide the, the, body, the body and the soul. The body and the soul, right. No, the... they are a union and we cannot separate them. Right. Okay, so the working well of the whole being. Now, we said earlier that health is not perfection. So is it an oxymoron to say perfect health? Uh, the reason oh. I'm, the re- yeah, I know, it's a tough question. The reason I'm asking this is can we say that somebody is in perfect health? Right, right. I would tend to say no. I would tend to say no as well. I, because I, I would say that because health is not perfection, well, because perfection is unattainable, then health will- No one can ever have perfect health. No one can ever have perfect yeah. health, right? So health is always going to be an end towards which we are striving and never reaching. Yeah. And I think probably, again, it's, I mean, is it appropriate to say it's also a euphemism that it's, or an idiom or something that it's not actually accurate? We just say perfect health because virtually they're, you know, they're in perfect health. Right. There's probably very few things that are wrong with them, nothing right. seriously wrong with them. So, yeah, like right now I feel like I'm virtually in a state of perfect health because right. nothing's actively bothering me that I need to see a doctor about. But I'm sure we could look and see ways that I'm not actually completely healthy, mm-hmm. perfectly healthy. Right. So, yes, I think no. Perfect health is maybe an idiom but not accurate okay. to say. <laughs> Um, I also wanted to say that I think in this definition, with this definition, health becomes more of a duty rather than a right. Okay. Because um, because there's there's an active role that both the patient and the doctor can play. If health is happiness or the absence of disease or some idea that the that a doctor has of a perfect human, then it sounds like it's the doctor's job to to bring that about, solely the doctor's job. Right. But if health is more wholeness and the well-working of the whole whole person, then there's a responsibility on that of the person to take care of themselves, to devote time to their body, to devote time to their soul, things like that. Right. And so then there's this kind of co-responsibility of both the doctor and the patient. And I think that's a better idea of health. Um, I think one way that medicine has gone wrong is by people thinking of health as a right. Right. That it's something that needs to be given to them. Right. Or, yeah, and I think maybe the flip side of that is paternalism, right. where it the onus is entirely on the doctor to take care of the patient. 
And that, that I think is a moral responsibility that the doctor shouldn't have to bear, right? The doctor shouldn't be the one making all medical decisions on behalf of the patient, but it should be a cooperative endeavor. Right. Well, yeah, they should feel a burden to do their job well, right? but not to feel as though it is, yeah, completely their responsibility. Right. Um, or to, to, to completely ignore all the wishes of the patient, mm-hmm. thinking that they, yeah, I mean, the idea of paternalism, they're the parent. They're not the parent in that relationship. Right. Um, they're not the authority, the sole authority or the perfect authority. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I think it avoids paternalism on the one hand, and I think it avoids what's popular now, a kind of a consumerist model right. of the patient-physician relationship. So, where... so the patient is the consumer in the in the exactly health marketplace and the, and the consumer the patient comes to the doctor and says this is what's wrong with me this is what i want this is the medicine i want this is the treatment i want and i'll pay for it and or my insurance will pay for it and the doctor just says okay and so i think if we think of health as a co-responsibility as a duty then we avoid both of those extremes right well and, and that's a really interesting point because i mean the the health insurance and the health care system in our country and in other several several other countries, not all, but it's it's set up to be very transactional. I mean, even the um, the state based healthcare ex- healthcare insurance exchanges. I mean, that very word yeah, that's good belies point. what they are. Yeah. They are centers of transaction between the patient as consumer rather than as person and yeah. the healthcare provider or providers. So yeah, that's a really good point. I think before we wrap up, we just need to talk briefly or reiterate. We mentioned it already, I think, but health has to be aimed at while we're acknowledging the limits of human nature. Yes, and what is actually possible. Right. What is possible for the doctor as a human being and what is possible for the patient's body as a human body. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so again, perfection is not possible on either side for the patient or for the physician. And we'll talk more about immortality in a later episode of this series, but that's the biggest thing to remember, I think, that immortality is not possible, that death cannot be avoided. Even in an ideal scenario in which the aim the aim towards health goes as well as it possibly could, that patient is still going to die. We're all dying. It just depends on at what rate. And so health must be aimed at with that limitation in mind, that it cannot defy death ultimately. And if that's what medicine does, then I think we – we you will be able to see a truly human medicine being practiced. Definitely. And I think if health instead is aiming at the elimination of death, you'll see an inhuman health. You'll see an idea of health that centers on the patient, again, not as a person, but as a consumer, uh, as an object, as an animal perhaps. And that's not what health is designed to do. That's not what medicine is designed to do. On that note, we will end this episode, and we look forward to chatting in two weeks. Um, And I'm not actually sure what two weeks will hold, so I'm not going to give you a teaser in case I'm wrong. But thank you so much for listening. We encourage you to check out our website, vernacularpodcast.com, and to contact us on Instagram, at vernacularpod, and Twitter, at vernacularpod. And email us if you have questions about today's episode or thoughts. If you would like to be featured as a listener question on a future episode, we are Zach and Sally at VernacularPodcast.com. All right. For Vernacular Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week.